Hi, I'm sitting here with the lovely Shalina. And I'm sitting here with the lovely Neka. Welcome to What's Your Safe Word? A podcast about declarations of resistance by us, Women at the Center. So, what are we drinking? We are drinking Two Oceans Vintage 2019 Sauvignon Blanc. Okay, let's try it. Yeah, it's delicious. Mmm. <laughs> you don't love it? Hmm. We'll see. Okay. I, 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 I might warm up to it. All right. Let's start with our check-in. Yes. Do you want to start? Sure. I'll start with my mental noise. My mental noise this week, and ongoingly, I think, for the past little bit, has been, I think, like, outgrowing the... I don't know, like, what's the word? Outgrowing the very little box that people see you in and that they only accept you in those ways. And so I think I'm outgrowing that box for certain people in my life. Hmm. And so there's backlash due to that. And so I think that's been my, like, ongoing mental noise. Um, Hmm. Dealing with that. Yeah. There's a whole, whole backstory to that, which we will get into one of these days yeah. but I, I I hear you and I see you um, my mental noise is around the numbers of uh, women who are being murdered who continue to be murdered uh, as a result of intimate partner violence we're part of the Canadian femicide observatory for justice and accountability that keeps a track of the numbers of women and girls who are murdered every year. It's part of the UN um, call to every country. And the Canadian Femicide Observatory released a report in November of 2019. And in November, the number was 118 women and girls. This year. This year. And 57% of those were killed by an inter- a current or former partner. Mm-hmm. And even in the you know since november 30th we're now since november 30th to the end of the year there's been about four additional women who've been killed yeah. right so the numbers keep increasing and, and i i'm i'm constantly asking myself what what does it take what will it take for the numbers for people to recognize it and for the numbers to go down because I know that next year we're going to reach a hundred and something, right? And and it's just again the consequences on the lives of the family who's left behind, the consequences on the lives of even the perpetrator, even if he does cowardly kill himself, but he has family, right? And so it's how these acts of violence sort of have a ripple effect and impact so many other people beyond the the murderer and you know his partner and the children and that's just a a recurring mental noise that um i was actually thinking about yesterday in the shower so yeah (coughs) um how do you how do you move on from that that was so deep and dark i'm so sorry no it was yeah Gratitude. <laughs> okay, we'll do it that way. Um, my gratitude is I, while I was on vacation, I read 
a book called Know My Name uh, by Chanel Miller. And she is <clears throat> the sexual assault survivor um, that happened in California uh, that Brock Turner was involved in. And she was known as Emily Doe for the entire trial and up until she wrote this book. And she named herself in it. And I have never, <clears throat> it's an absolutely beautiful written book. I'm gonna read it over. You have to read it. Over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, you have to. It, it's unbelievable. And Oprah did a podcast with her. Um, so you actually get to hear her voice and like hear her talk about the book and stuff like that. But Oprah also called it one of like the most beautiful books hmm. that she'd ever read. And I feel like Oprah's read a lot of books. So like, it's not just me saying it, <laughs> but um, Oprah has a book club. Yeah, <laughs> but I've never felt so attached to a person in a book before. Hmm. Like I, like I grew up in like the Harry Potter world, mm -hmm. and I mean, like I love Harry Potter. Harry Potter is incredible, but you knew that they were fictitious. Exactly, and this woman takes you through the morning that she woke up. And then throughout her telling her story about um, when she woke up to like the entire trial of what happened, she takes you into her childhood and takes you like throughout that night and all of these things. And you get to know this person and, and her family, like mm. in and out. And I, when I was finishing the book, I hadn't yet finished it. And I was in a car with Chris and one of our friends and I was so sad before the book even ended because I didn't want to say goodbye to this person Aww. that like I had been with for like, I don't know, like a week or two. And, but like every day, like I had read her words and her, and like been brought into her experiences and things like that. And I have never been more, and I mean, it obviously had to do with sexually, sexual assault, which is a lot of stuff that we do here. But I have never been more like, uh, like attached mm. to anybody or like I felt like I was with her like when she woke up in the hospital you felt like you were on that table with her when mm. she was in the stand on the stand testifying you felt like you were on that stand with her like you you honestly felt like you were with her the entire way so I I am so unbelievably grateful for her book mm. I would I would love Michelle Miller if you are listening to this if anybody that is listening to this knows her. I would love to have a conversation with her because yeah, we will. You know what? We're going to do it. Okay, we'll do it. do it. What's your gratitude, Nika? My gratitude is to my Christiana. Um, so Christy has been uh, applying for her masters in, arch in architecture, and has she's she's sending off a whole bunch of applications to uh, U.S. universities, a whole bunch to the U.K and a whole bunch to Canadian. And she wrote her personal statement that it, it blew me away. Aww. It absolutely, absolutely blew me, blew me away. And she was writing about how she got interested in architecture in the, in the first place. And I think I've told you about this. When, um, when she was about seven, we, had, we did this adventure, was how I framed it to her. Um, one of our members was in crisis. And so I had to sort of drive this, th this woman and her two sons came and stayed with us because her ex had, 
held her, etc., etc. And she would she needed to get into a shelter. But for the weekend, there were no shelter spaces, so I ended up having this woman in my house. And then on the Monday, I was driving her, t- the woman and her two sons, to one of our former board directors who lived behind God's Back, um, out of Ontario. Well, it was in Ontario, really, really up north. Anyway, so I drove the woman to one of my board directors. The woman and her two sons stayed with the board director for a week, and then in that week, another uh, one of the shelters. Uh, Edie's that I sort of I was calling everybody that I knew said okay we've got space in the shelter she can come so on the day I had to go pick up this woman and her uh, two sons I couldn't leave Christy at home so I had to take Christy we drove to this place behind God's back picked up the woman and her sons and then drove to this shelter and the conversation with my seven-year-old as to why I was dropping this woman why we did the drive why I was dropping the woman off in this space beautiful shelter but it still had like gates that mm-hmm. you had to buzz in and it, it was almost prison like right yeah. so yeah. I, I had the conversation <coughs> back with my kid about violence and why women flee and why they couldn't why the boys couldn't stay in their house with in, sleep in their own beds so in my daughter's personal statement she was writing about how that experience of uh, of realizing that some women didn't have access to safe homes, safe houses, made her want to build houses that would be safe for. And I thought, Aww. that's my kid. Yeah. yeah, that's that's my kid. And so my gratitude is to her because, in her own way, she's not a sort of the activist um, advocate in the same way that I do advocacy. But this is advocacy, right? Yeah. Her designing and thinking about beautiful homes that you know nobody no little boy or little girl lives in a house that is walled like a prison yeah just made me so so profoundly grateful so christiana is my gratitude for this week yeah it's amazing she remembers that that's great I you know. remember things like that I no, it, 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 it catches you yeah, right it stays. it stays um my success this week is my partner he for some reason in the past like little bit he he's always been he's always let me kind of take charge of like conversations or, like that we're having with other people right like if like we used to have friends that didn't believe in like gay marriage and he would let me take charge of that conversation right and he, he always kind you. of he stood encouraged back. you yeah he encouraged me yeah and all of a sudden in the past like i don't know like 2 3 weeks he has just become, I said that he, we have Kara that works here, and I said that he's been inspired by Kara because he's just absolutely no bullshit, lays it flat out, but says it so eloquently and amazingly, but like with with walls, like you can't penetrate them. Like you're like, Love it. I, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> You've said it, okay. okay. Um, so anyway, he he's kind of like inspired me this week. So he is my... He is my success. He's taken up really good conversations and being like very no nonsense with him. Yeah, um, that's great. And we all we all love Christopher, and we've sort of seen his growth in this. Yeah. In this area, mm-hmm. so that's that's beautiful. Uh, my success is the podcast. Um, I got some really fantastic feedback from my niece and my nephew in in London and uh, talking about how 
the whole all the conversations that we get into that they they feel like they want to be they want to be physically in the space but they feel as if they are they they really are even though ah. they're thousands of miles away and how they think that the workspace you know here is such a phenomenal environment and how they wish they had workspaces like that and i thought yeah <laughs> Everybody, I <laughs> but I did. Well, it's true. I, I feel it's a huge success, but it's not just about me and you. It's about the critical conversations we have with our team. Yeah, and we're going to have one again today. Yeah, so we're having a conversation around consent, which obviously in this time is a very important conversation to have. And again, because it's a team conversation, because all different people have different ideas ideas of consent we wanted to invite our team in so uh you will be joined by kara and nicole and amanda again so we are so excited to be back uh with our phenomenal team we have Amanda, our producer. Hi. Nicole. Nicole's here. Hello. And I'm Kara. <laughs> Welcome, Kara. Hi, Kara. And so we're going to be talking about consent. We right? are going to have a really, really great conversation about consent. I want to start off actually with Shalini. You, you had a, um, a quote. Yeah, so Robin Doolittle, she's the one that did the Unfounded series uh, for the Globe and Mail. She just wrote a book called Had It Coming, and she has a whole chapter about consent, and it's a really good read if anybody wants to read it. Um, but she says, <clears throat> one of the most surprising things I learned while investigating the handling of sexual assault complaints in the criminal justice system is that Canada already has some of the most progressive laws in the world, and it's been that way for two decades. Even the country's most activist lawyers and scholars agree on this point. Among the dozens of legal experts I interviewed on the subject, crowns, defense attorneys, judges, law professors, criminologists, none had serious complaints about the law. In fact, most are very proud of it. Beginning in 1982 and continuing through the decade, Parliament passed a series of amendments to the Criminal Code that dramatically improved the country's law, laws governing sexual violence. First came the repeal of rape and indecent assault offenses and the creation of three gender-neutral sexual assault charges. The government also abolished the requirement for corroborating evidence, meaning that a judge no longer needed additional and independent outside evidence to convict an accused. Then the doctrine of recent complaint was removed, meaning that if a victim hadn't immediately run or cried for help after an attack, judges and juries could no longer view that as undermining the complainant's credibility. Finally, rules were put in place to limit the ways in which a complainant's sexual history could be used in court. In the ensuing years, Canadian courts responded with a number of enlightened and binding judgments that nudged the law in an even more progressive direction, including strong language from the Supreme Court denouncing rape myths and stereotypes. Today, Canada operates with what's called affirmative consent standard. This means that individuals engaged in sexual activity need to be sure their partners are agreeing to it. Rather than waiting for a no, both parties need to indicate a yes and individuals who are incapacitated by alcohol or other factors aren't considered capable of consent. In Canada, a victim isn't required to resist an attack or scream for help for the event to be considered sexual assault. Nor do complainants need to appear visibly upset while recounting the incident later in order to be believed. 
The law officially recognizes that there is no set rule on how people who are the victims of trauma like a sexual assault will behave. Other jurisprudence mm -hmm. yep, has discounted the notion that a person who has consented to a sex in the past is more likely to consent to sex later. An update intended to address the unchaste woman stereotype. Taken together, these laws should provide all the tools necessary for the justice system to arrest, prosecute, and convict sexual assault assailants. And yet, at every stage of the process, from police investigation to the trial to the final judgment, issues persist. In Canada, the laws aren't the problem, it's the willingness to enforce them. I think that's such a brilliant, brilliant sort of foundational pillar to start this conversation. Because a lot of people often talk about how the law says one thing, but in reality it's how people take it up. Mm -hmm. So what I want to discuss with the team are questions on sort of your own personal understanding of this this issue of consent. So what is it to you? Who wants to start? Nicole. I will go. Um, <laughs> I think historically the way that it was always talked about was it was either like like a yes or a no, like no means no, yes means yes. And I think that that idea is problematic because it doesn't take into account like the complexities of, of sex. Mm -hmm. And like there are some times where like you may engage in sexual activity and then you might think, well, like this is uncomfortable. I didn't say yes, I didn't say no but you feel that it's uncomfortable. So it's like a little bit in that gray area. Mm -hmm. Like the Aziz Ansari case. Yes, yeah. And um, I'm not sure when that was, but when was that? A couple, a couple years, years ago. ago yeah. And so for me, I think that it's important now for when it comes to like consent education and training that it takes into account those complexities because even now still when parents are having conversations with their sons uh, in particular, it's always like, you know, you need to make sure that they say yes or like listen to when they say no when it's like, well, it's not always about what they say or what they yeah. don't say. Like you have to also pay attention to body language yeah. and I think that mm -hmm. that isn't taught or that's mm -hmm. not discussed. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, yeah, that like including those nuances and then also Brilliant. like different ways that you can say yes and different ways that you know, you show that you're interested and that you are wanting to engage exactly, in that Exactly, exactly. Kara, what about you? What does it mean? I can go next if you want, if you're not ready. I, I don't remember the question. <laughs> what does consent mean to you? What does consent mean to me? It, it's like, it just simply means that I can change my mind at any time. Mm -hmm. um, it means that I could say yes to kissing or touching, or I can say yes to vaginal penetration, but at some point when I'm uncomfortable, it automatically means stop. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. continue, it doesn't mean convince me, it doesn't mean mm -hmm. um, I, I'll change my mind eventually. It, and like I find it weird because sometimes I have conversations with my sisters and she's just like, oh yeah, like he raped me. And it's not taken up as oh my God, that's a serious issue. It's, oh my God, I told him no, but then he continued, so I just let it happen. Or I wasn't turned on. He didn't even, 
make me wet or anything like that. And it just continued, and I uh, let it happen. Mm-hmm. So I think um, consent is very complex. I think it needs to be taken up in spaces that aren't always conversations around sex. I mm-hmm. think it should be just taken up as a conversation of, like, body, allowing someone to come in your space. Like bodily autonomy. Right? And um, having the power to kind of say, like, no without saying no. You know what I mean? Like, it's a lot of, did she say no? Was it obvious? But sometimes it's not obvious. Sometimes it's the way you position yourself. Sometimes you don't have it in you to say no. Sometimes you don't you don't know if you mean no. You just know that you're uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, Nicole said, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you both said that really, like, that was, you both articulated that very well. I think that, for me, what was always missing from conversations around consent is the ways in which yes and no are displayed because I don't like I can name like on my hand the amount of times that I've had sex where like I actually was like yes let's do this normally it's just like in the way you're behaving or in the mm-hmm. way that you're acting or the way that you're responding um but I'm like but I would count like the majority of those experiences as consensual like I wanted to mm-hmm. but I didn't actually sit there and go like yes I would like to engage in this right now and I would like <laughs> yeah. to do these activities and not these ones like that's yeah. not a realistic conversation yeah. that like people are having in a lot of cases I think it could happen in some and it's not to discount those mm-hmm. but I think for me at least it rarely pans out like that right. um, and I think that so often where we're learning about consent is in schools or with our parents and I think or with peers or with peers but I think that where you formally learn about it at least like it or in these structure kind of ways are in spaces where people aren't like comfortable to have that conversation yeah. so they turn to their peers right. mm-hmm. or they turn to the internet right. where information can be inaccurate right and so I think that my trouble with like our ways that we talk about consent structurally or like in these like kind of ways that are informed, they're, they're flawed in that parents don't want to talk about with their children because they view their children as children, or schools don't want to talk about it because they're like, well, we're here to teach, we're not here to do this, or like, we have like, in Ontario, government that's like, explicitly saying, yeah. we're not going to talk about it. this, Tanya. yeah, or we have like, systems like Catholic schools that don't want to talk about it because of their like, beliefs, or like, whatever, like, so I just think that there's like, where we could actually have this knowledge presented in a way that's actually really informed and there isn't shame and there isn't this like, oh, I don't want to talk to my mom about this or I don't want to talk mm-hmm. to my dad about this because it's weird. Like, there isn't that. And so we're young folks and, like, anybody really turn is to their friends or to, like, an online space yep. where there's, like, rampant misinformation. Right. Mm-hmm. And it just confuses you even more. And so I think, for me, it's exactly what you both said. And so, like, I don't, there's... I don't know if I'm adding anything to do to that, but I just think that it's not talked about in a nuanced way. It's not talked about in a way that is really clear, but still allows for complexities. Mm -hmm. And so I think then people are confused and they're going into situations where they don't know. Exactly. And, and that can also be like, like pleasurable. Yeah. Like, just like you had just said that, like when, we talk about consent people think well it's like in this really rigid way like do you want to do this and mm-hmm. it's like either yes or no and it's like like you can do it like you just said in an enthusiastic 
way. Yeah, it brings me back to a scene in like Working Moms. Oh yeah. When the guy was like, "Do do I touch you now? Am I allowed Can to I kiss move you closer or? to you? Can <laughs> I put my hand on your leg? Mm-hmm. It's like super robotic. Yeah. And then it's like you're making fun of it. Like, you're making yeah, light of the fact that people yeah. actually don't want that. Or even like something. Like, sorry, this is again off topic, but I think even like I've had conversations with friends around like the idea of like there's times where like I want to be like chased. And I want to be like, no, don't. But I'm like, but it actually means yes, more. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, now that's complex. <laughs> but it is exactly. And like, I totally and know like, what you mean. And it's like, no, I do want that. And I have a partner where we are able to like go into that. And if it's using things like safe words, or if it's using like just having a conversation beforehand. But like, is there a space where we can like have that conversation? Because yeah, literally, that's so confusing. Yeah. One does no mean more and one does no mean no and I think that that's confusing for like folks that are like in that position of saying that but then it's like I think then oftentimes men also use that as be like well like women say this or women and it's like no it's actually really clear but we're just not talking about it yeah 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 um I think I think the way that I view consent has changed so when I was younger it was like very much like that quote, have you ever heard that quote, when a man says no, it's the end of a discussion, but when a woman says no, it's the start of a negotiation. Oh. And so, yeah. I don't like that. And that's so a problem. it's super <laughs> problematic. And so like, but that's what consent felt like, I think when I was younger. Mm. And mm-hmm. I don't think I really knew, other than like, yes or no, like, I don't think I really knew what consent was when I was younger. But as like an adult, where, my like sexual relationships have been developing in like different ways and like meeting different people in different communities and things like that. I think like in King communities, there's like green, yellow, and red, uh, like the light system. And green obviously means like, yes, please go. Yellow's like, oh, I don't know about that. Change it up, soften, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then red is like, no. And I, like I had like an, so, I had like a sexual interaction with somebody where they, when they came over, they said like, what is on your yes list? Like, I want to know what is like your yes list. And then like talking about like the things that you wanted to do and the things that were like, Mm -hmm. yes for you. And then he was like, okay, now tell me what's on your no list. Mm -hmm. And on that no list, I had to tell him about like past sexual um, assaults that have like triggered me in certain Mm -hmm. places. And so like that's on my no list. And so I think when you're like mature enough and both coherent mm-hmm. and you're able to kind of have a conversation about consent, I think that's that has been like the best experience for me. And then even during sex, like it it can be super sexy when somebody says like Kara talked about the working moms episode. He made it into a joke, but it yeah. can actually be very sexy when someone says like do you want this? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, tell yeah. me you want it. Like, are yeah. you sure you want it? Let me hear it. Yeah, yeah. let me hear yeah. it. Like, it can be super, super sexy. And so I think that has been, like, my awakening from when I was younger. I think looking at it as, like, a researcher, looking at it as, like, a professional, it's it's harder to kind of talk about because, for example, on university campuses, most sexual assaults happen when there's alcohol or drugs involved, right? And so it's like, what does consent look like in those spaces? Mm -hmm. And being in, I was in a training for, uh, to be like a sexual assault hotline operator. And they talked about consent a lot in that, but 
someone asked, because anybody could take this training, and someone said, well, if both parties are drunk, then who does that put the onus on? Like, and so it's kind of those questions that are, I guess, can be complicated if you're looking at it in that kind of sense, but also whoever is... Um, the aggressor? Yeah, but, like, not aggressor, because I feel like that comes initiator. after... Yeah, like, the person that's, like, kind of... Yeah, Initiate. the initiator. It's kind of put on them in those situations. Yeah. And so it's, I think, and in the book that I talked about earlier, uh, Chanel Miller's uh, mm -hmm. Know My Name, she talks very clearly about consent and how consent given, or consent not given by a sober person is somehow, like, way more validating than consent not given by a drunk person. Mm -hmm. yeah. And even though people are drunk, even though people are passed out, even mm -hmm. though people are high or on whatever, mm -hmm. that does not give you any type of right to like touch their body mm -hmm. in any way that they're not mm -hmm. okay with. And sorry to interrupt. I just like I think that I think the conversation around alcohol and like drug use and things like that, I think it I feel sometimes that people are like, well, that's a hard conversation because, or like that's, I don't know what to do, like the loss is this, it's like it's so confusing and it's like, but again, you're like, you're confusing like what the law says and you're using this as like a like a hard and fast rule and it's like, it, like or like you're using the law as like this like scapegoat to mm -hmm. be like, well, it's not against it's the law. Like, it, it's not against the law or it is against the law and this is like, and that's what the law says. And it's like, yes, but like what did the person in front of you say? Mm -hmm. yeah. Like what did the person in front of you say or do or react like? Because like I understand that alcohol can add like a complexity to like a court case, I guess. Mm -hmm. I guess, if that's like the argument. But I like like have been drunk many times and like have had sex while drunk and like I have always known if I'm okay with it or not. Mm -hmm. And I think that you like even like I just like I'm like I think that people are using this as a scapegoat to yeah. be like oh well it's this this is what this says this is the problem here and it's like we're not talking about like people don't want to actually talk about like what it means to be like a human being and consenting people want to talk about what the law says about consent and I think and I think that's sorry I think that's like the difference of what can happen in these like cases of like sexual assault where you don't always have to break a criminal code to break a moral code yeah right like they're two different things yeah. and. Or they can be the same, like one and yeah. the same. But sometimes it's not always breaking the law, but it's still harming that person. Yeah. And so you still need to be accountable to that. Yeah, yeah. The, way, the way I look at it is, and you know, like you, Shalini, you talked about when you were younger. What I, what I now look, see as consent is this whole, it's like a continuum. Mm -hmm. You can start off enthusiastic right, enthusiastically uh, engaged in the act, and at some point you are no longer enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. And my whole view on the issue of consent is that it's about the individual, you, knowing the person that you are about to get intimate with. And, and, and I don't mean like you know them for years, but you, you are present to that individual. Mm. And being aware that that yes can change at any time yes. and being respectful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right, so when I start off enthusiastic and at some point I no longer want to do it, you need to get the fuck off, mm. right? And you need to respect that. And, mm -hmm. and having this, um, you, you, Amanda, you talked about the human, or Shalina, about the human 
empathy. It's about you being present mm. and knowing that I'm dealing with another human being who has rights mm -hmm. and I, in dealing with that individual, I have responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And so whether she started off at the beginning saying yes, but at some point her body language or even verbally, mm -hmm. she says no, mm -hmm. you need to respect that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But my whole concern is how do you have, how do you train that? How yeah. do you get that, yeah. especially in boys, but primarily in girls? Because my, as a mother with a, a son and two daughters, I initially started off with the whole thing, you know, I need to tell my daughters what not. And I thought, fuck, I don't need to tell my daughter shit. I need to tell my son to be, be respectful, mm -hmm. be, be attentive, mm -hmm. pay attention. And I need to tell my daughters, don't feel badly when in the middle of it, you are no longer interested and right. you tell him, get the fuck off. Mm -hmm. I think it's about bodily autonomy. Exactly. I think, yeah. I think teaching your daughters I, and even your sons, right? Like teaching everyone, because these aren't just like heteronormative situations, but I think like, or cisnormative. So I think teaching people about their body and about like they have the right, the right of their own body and yeah. they can choose to as well as like like self-love and self-esteem because when you have that when you feel like you want to respect your body mm -hmm. do you know what I mean like you're more willing to vocalize it because I think mm -hmm. also sometimes consent works in a way that's just inside your head like you consent to not giving consent do you know what I mean like you don't actually want to do it but you're consenting to it yep. and yeah. so I think that there's like also other ways that consent works privately as mm -hmm. well as with that person totally. And I think that's like a like I think that's why like the idea of like enthusiastic consent is also really important because I think that it's like I, I yeah I thought I think I, like you brought up the Aziz on sorry case like I think that was a really interesting case and like if we talk about that like it's like are we teaching boys girls non-binary folks whoever are we teaching people like like you both said, like Karen and Nicole you both said at the beginning like, like the way that like intimacy is nuanced and intimacy and sex should be pleasurable like you said Nicole and it's like are we actually teaching and exploring the idea of like what enthusiasm looks like and it's like if mm. you're having sex and you start off enthusiastic and then all of a sudden you kind of just are like meh mm. like that's when your partner should be checking in exactly. mm -hmm. yeah. and if you have a partner that's tuned exactly. in or partners and, yeah thank yeah. you yeah if you have people that are tuned into each other you know instantly when that person is no longer into it exactly like you yeah. know like and it shouldn't be about well let me just go a little bit farther and see if that changes it yep. should be about checking yeah. in and yeah. being like are you are okay? you, you okay are you still into this if not okay like, does it still feel good yeah is like, that does what? that do you want to switch it up do we want to end and if we're not teaching each other to like be attuned to the way that we're like showing those emotions and those feelings subtly because I think we put so much onus on yeah. the overt the, the overt yeah, yeah like yeah. we need an explicit yes we need an explicit no we need it's like no sometimes it literally just means like laying still yeah not kissing back just like not as like not being as vocal like it means or like, like a these, small shift away yeah like, exactly it's, like it's these small subtle things. subtle things but truly if you're going to be in this intimate situation with someone you should be fucking tuned into that yeah. and if you aren't I don't know if you necessarily should be involved in that situation yeah. Yeah. I think communication teaching communication is so integral because 
I think a lot of our sexual partners these days aren't people that you know fully, yeah. right? Yeah. So, like, when you yeah. think of, like, Tinder and, like, dating apps and things like that, absolutely, things might happen literally, like, you meet somebody, and then the expectation is almost already there because there's been, like, a buildup online through yeah. a conversation or yeah. something. So when that person comes over and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, I'm not sure if this is what I want, how do you think can you – communicate that to like an almost stranger because mm-hmm. I have no problem communicating that to you mm-hmm. or to like my partner of 13 years mm-hmm. but to somebody that you just met that maybe is if I'm a woman and he's a man maybe a lot bigger than me maybe some do you know what I mean yeah, like, like threatening yeah. in some way yeah that right. is a communication or comprehension because you can communicate as much as you want but if they don't understand then you're just talking to a wall yeah if they I refuse think- if they refuse or just ignore what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but I think it's both. I, I still think that, like, nowadays, even hearing even hearing parents talk about, like, kids communicate. I was literally Christmas shopping the other day, and I heard, like, a conversation going on between two moms, and they were talking about um, how they communicate, like, the kids, their kids, communicate so differently because it's all online. Mm-hmm. Like, these are little kids that are talking over, like, apps on their mm-hmm. iPad or, like, whatever. And, but when they're in front of their friends, they're all, like, super quiet and they don't know what to say. Oh, my gosh, And so yeah. I think, like, I think teaching, especially, like, this new generation mm-hmm. of kids that have grown up online, how do you teach them mm-hmm. in, like, a personal one-on-one space mm-hmm. or one-on-two or whatever mm-hmm. that sexual situation looks like, mm-hmm. how do you then teach them the communication skills that are going to help them have, like, a successful, healthy, positive, pleasurable night, mm-hmm. you know? Healthy, yeah. yeah. Or dead. Well, yeah, <laughs> at any time. <laughs> I like yeah. that. So I, I'm. I just want us to talk quick, quickly about the difference between this whole who gives consent and who receives consent, and how do you, how do you actually say yes? So who? Sorry, can you who is the, the giver? Question? Who the giver? When you are the giver of the consent, somebody wants to engage in some sexual activity with you. How do you, how do you practically give consent? Well, I think, I think one thing that is, like, needs to be talked about that gets taken up a lot is implied consent. And so, like, if we can get rid of this word, (laughs) implied, because how are you implying it? Like, even in, even in our research, we sat in some sexual assault trials, and implied consent was taken up. And it was... It's this idea that, oh, because they gave you their number or something like that, all of a sudden you have a right to put your penis in there. Yeah. Or, or if she's married. wearing a sexy underwear. Or, yeah, or, or because or in a you're relationship. married. Yeah. Or because of what she's wearing or anything like that. And so I think implied consent needs to go out the window. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing is implied until someone says directly, yes, please, or whatever. The things or that shows. Talk or, about shows or shows consent in a very enthusiastic way. Yeah, yeah I don't. It's interesting because when you're asking, like, who gives consent, like, it's like, well, we're assuming that, like, so one person has to give it because one person's kind of asking for it. It's like, well, shouldn't you both be asking? Yeah, that's what I was, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, that's why I was confused. I'm like, like well, yeah, like, because if you're both asking for consent, like, then you're both in the space to be able to say, yeah, like, I want sex. Do you want sex? I want sex. Great. Or I don't know. Like, I just think it should be both. And I get what you mean. I get that, like, 
oftentimes there is an initiator mm-hmm. and there's someone that's like okay um but i but don't you think it goes into like this entire conversation that we've had for years that that men are the chasers yeah absolutely men are the chasers women are the withholders yeah, and yeah. they only give it to you whenever you've yeah, done which something is so proper. problematic but right. men are like assumed to always want to have sex as well yeah exactly like and it's i mean i mean it's exactly what you said earlier it's very heteronormative it's very cisnormative in a lot of ways and i think that it's it's also there's a lot of assumptions then that like it's these men that are like always wanting sex and women that never do and i think that also then shames a lot of women who mm, do want once, sex yep, yep, and yep. men totally. who don't like because i think that can exist yeah so yeah i don't know i agree with you Shalene. i think it, it goes it feeds into that stereotype that like Men are chasers and women are like a gatekeeper mm. to some sort of sexual activity, which is. But in understanding that that was not the intent of the question, but thank Ooh. you for, check, for checking me on that. <laughs> the question is really around. It's like advice, right? Mm-hmm. So, if somebody does want to have to engage in sexual activities with you, in, in, you know, insert mm-hmm. the person here. How like what does consent look like? What does it look like, mm-hmm. right? How is it given? Like, can I spank you? Like, do you want to be spanked? Like, can I kiss you? Like, you know what I mean? Like, asking asking doesn't always mean that it's dry or it's... No. You know what I mean? Like, it could yeah. be sexy. It could be a turn-on. Yeah. When someone oh, yeah. did that, like, list. Like, the yes list yeah. and the no list. Mm-hmm. It was very hot because you could be like, oh. I never thought of that. But then right. also knowing that that list can change when you're yep. in the midst of, yep. of engaging in sexual yeah, yeah, activity yeah. too, right? Yeah. I also think it is about paying attention to body language. Like if you want to kiss someone and you don't necessarily want to ask that question, if you lean in, are they leaning in too? Yeah, or they leaning or are away. they pulling away? But there's also a, a challenge in that because mm-hmm. the fact that a woman can uh, physiologically respond does not mean it, it no, cannot equate it to consent. Yeah, and I don't so, mean that. I think it's more about the. I know you don't. Yeah, you don't. But yeah, I'm saying to the audience, right? That that. So so the fact that sh- uh, your body responds right as mm-hmm. a woman, and you get wet, mm-hmm. or a man and he becomes erect does not equate mm-hmm. to yes, Absolutely. he is consenting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the way your body responds is not an indication of consent. So my Absolutely. question was really again. How do you how do you navigate this very complex physiological um, and emotional and sort of intellectual uh, activity that sex? How do you, how do you navigate it in a way that is healthy and safe and respectful? I think it's harder when you don't know the person. I think for sure. Like Absolutely. in my current relationship, it's like it's an ongoing conversation. It's mm-hmm. like being open about it and. Like what makes you like horny, or like what, like what turns you on, mm-hmm. and what makes it fun, and like, or why did you feel this way at a certain time, or yeah, it's just being open. Mm-hmm. I think it is a lot harder when you don't know the person, and or, I yeah, or when you're like just entering into a space where you're just engaging in sex for the first time. Like, I'm thinking about, like, young folks specifically. It doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily have to be young folks. You can engage in sex for the first time at any point in your life. But I, like, think that, like, those first sexual encounters can be also really tricky to navigate because you're still learning your own 
yeah body your own comfort like your own comfort level mm-hmm. whereas i because i agree like i'm like in my relationship now like it's easy like i, I don't have them but, but I'm i think like, that's because they listen like yeah. i think that's because our partners listen right like yeah. i think there are many women or many people that have been in long-term relationships and that are married right. that are survivors of sexual yeah. assault and rape do like from their married married from their partner, partner, partner right yeah. and i think that's I don't think that is them not saying what they want to do. I mean, it could be. Sometimes it could be a communication issue, but I think sometimes it's a it's a listening issue. <laughs> it's yeah. a comprehension issue of like people just aren't listening, mm-hmm. right? Like people people, mm-hmm. especially when women are always objectified and commodified, and and when men are looking at women as like objects and as something that they can just like you know. Take. You're, you're there for their pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think then they turn off. They Like, they turn off their listening ears. They mm-hmm. think, you must want me, and if you yeah. don't, too bad. But I think it goes Not both all the time, ways, but... I think it goes both ways, because even I said, like, it depends how long you know the person. It can go both ways. I'm easier... Like, I can say no to someone I've just met versus my partner, mm-hmm. who I can be like, okay, babe, really we can really go into point. it. And then that's how marital rape happens, because people think you're always ready, or you're always yeah. there to say... You know what I mean? But I think that's also consenting to not consent, right? Like, if you don't really want to have sex at night, but you're doing it because you want him to feel good, mm-hmm. you're you're not really... Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I think that's tricky. Understood yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah, it's tricky. Like, you're... Because you're saying... You're, you're saying, saying, okay, no. sure. But you're in your head, you're like, I don't really want to yeah. do this. But yeah. you're still going through the motions. Yeah. And is that consent or is that not consent? Well, I think those are the conversations that a lot of people have with themselves of, like, yeah. am I willing to kind of go through this for, you know... Sometimes to even avoid, like an argument yeah right or like yeah. and that's the reality that a lot of women yeah it's predominantly easier. live is that like you want to avoid any type of conflict so we've talked about what consent looks like what is it not what does it not look like so I think I think a lot of people are used to if somebody doesn't okay well I guess consent doesn't look like someone unconscious right it doesn't look like um, like copious amounts of alcohol or drugs or anything like that Mm -hmm. but I also think that a lot of people assume that if somebody is not giving consent or saying no that they are fighting so they're like going to physically physically yeah like stop it or Mm -hmm. whatever or try to stop it or they're gonna try to run away. Mm-hmm. And I think that the one that is forgotten the most, and that probably might actually happen the most, mm-hmm. yeah. is freezing. Yep. And I think that freezing is something that a lot of a lot of people do to survive in that moment, right? And to try to get through that moment. And so I, I th- somebody mentioned earlier where they talked about, I think you actually talked about when somebody was kissing, like if somebody's kissing you and somebody's pulling back, I think even, not even if they're pulling back, but if they're just like not engaging, right? And they're like, like just kind of there. And I think people need to be aware of what freezing looks like and how that can impact them in that moment. Um, So like that would be what consent doesn't look like to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I have anything to add to that. Yeah, me neither. That's brilliant. <laughs> no, that that really is because I, I think when we 
I'm speaking of, as a woman, there have been moments when I'm not feeling it. Mm-hmm. And I just lie there and think of laundry and just wait for it to be over. Mm. Right? Mm. And and if I had an intuitive partner or somebody who really was paying attention, mm-hmm. he would know that I've I've disconnected. Mm-hmm. And so that that to me is I've frozen in the moment. He is completely oblivious to the fact that my body has disconnected uh-huh. but is still going on because he's sort of stuck in his moment and his desires so that is a, a moment where I have no I am no longer consenting and 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 my 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 upset is that a lot of people take the take up the fact that I consented up until that point so now yeah. he's hard you know that that's just rude of you not right. to. Right, and now not, you have yeah, to do something. So me, now, yeah. now I have to. Oh. Let's Which, dispel the myth of blue balls. I know, seriously. What is it? Blue balls. Yeah, they'll be like, oh well, you, you, we got to this point, yeah. and now you're just gonna leave, and you're gonna give me blue balls. <laughs> That's literally, and that's always been like a thing in high I school. I remember that. that. I remember that. Yeah, and remember and then you were. I always remember feeling like, yeah. I don't want like to give you. Like you, you have well. Now I have to because like the, yeah, there's like the or shame. Yeah, you your tease or yeah, yeah. yeah this is taking me back. So the, me- the message is the responsibility is on you. <laughs> on like, you who the he? Well, yeah, and like I know I don't want to dispel blue balls in a way that obliges wait, wait, women. Wait, wait, wait! I don't know what blue balls is. Okay, like when they talk about blue balls, blue balls it's are. saying they give them a hard on. Yeah, and then you don't let them come their balls will hurt yeah. and they'll become blue. And so this is what was said like yeah, in high school and whatever. But I I want to talk about that in a way of balls can hurt when there's semen in there and they've been turned on. So balls can hurt. That's okay. But yeah. that's not our responsibility. No. Yeah. Like do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't want to say to men, Oh, your balls aren't hurting. They could be. Like, but you also have to Go to a corner and, and figure it out, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a pretty simple uh-huh. solution. Like, why is it my responsibility? Nah. Like, yeah. Nope. When when we talk about being responsible for our own emotions and stuff, like, if something somebody does can make you upset, right? But you're still responsible for those mm-hmm. emotions. So, like, even if someone's turning you on or leading you up to something and then they change their mind and they say, like, no, I'm not interested any longer, or they're just they freeze, then like you're responsible for your own blue balls or you're responsible for your own mm-hmm. pleasure or like your own whatever. And you're responsible in that moment and accountable to the person that you're in that room with mm-hmm. or that you are in that kind of interaction with, mm-hmm. whether that be one or multiple people. And so, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of the blue ball syndrome. <laughs> I've never heard of it. Now I've heard of it. I think it's a load of blue ball, blue ball bullshit. It's, no, seriously, because it's like, it's a way that, I, what you've explained, it's a way for young or men to hold women accountable for their sexual their erections. erections. That's not yeah. my response. So it's not, it's, not the sin, it's not the fact that they do, it's not the that pain. they could get it's not pain. The pain. Yeah. It's how they use that to manipulate. To manipulate. Yes. Yes. So I'm yeah. not, I'm not Let's clarify. Of, thank yeah. you. I'm not a but, fan of the, the manipulation. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's brilliant. Before we wrap up. Something that we wanted to share that many of us have come across in our years within this work, years living as women, years on this planet, was uh, acronym? Is that the yeah. correct? Mm-hmm. Like, 
word, yep. um, that was provided by Planned Parenthood, I believe. Um, they use the acronym FRIES um, for their synopsis of consent. So FRIES stands for freely given, reversible, informed, enthusiastic, and specific. And so obviously we've talked about a lot this episode, but I think that those five points really do kind of offer like a, a basis for yep. how to think about consent um, within your own lives. And then I think it's also just like a really, like fries, it's simple, it's easy to remember. Yeah, yep. useful tool to carry yeah. with you. Yeah, and I think like among, like I think the fries is really helpful. I think it has to go among that to like a deep cultural and societal change yeah. about respecting people and listening to people in mm-hmm. moments of vulnerability mm-hmm. and moments of like, you know, like in this circumstance, like a sexual interaction. So I think fries is super helpful and I think that for everybody to know that so that they can mm-hmm. do, show um, their consent that way, mm-hmm. but also look for consent in yeah. that way, yeah. yep. but also listen to people, respect mm-hmm. people, and mm-hmm. like hopefully like society after Me Too and after all these things is going through a deep change. And so anyway, I hope that... Mm-hmm. Yeah, this has been a great conversation, and it's sort of the introduction to a series that we're going to be hosting on the nature of consent, and we hope that you continue to listen. We're really, really grateful to have our brilliant team, Akira, Nicole, and our phenomenal, as always, um, podcast producer, Amanda. And we're going to do our buzz buzz rating in our checkout. In our checkout. What uh, do you think? I what actually like this. Even though it's a Sauvignon Blanc and I like uh, sweet wines, but I'm going to give it <clears throat> a four. Wow. Oh, Maybe, it, wait, hold on. Okay. No, 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 no. No, that's a good one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, sorry. I'm good sense. That wasn't consensual. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm a manipulator. <laughs> uh, like, I was going to go like 3.7. Okay. Amanda? Like a 3.3. I'm a 4.6. Wow. Oh, this is like your it's, This is my childhood wine. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. like high school. Like, I, don't, I wasn't <laughs> that young. High school. Okay. I was drinking. I didn't like this at all. Because of your I am so sorry. I'm giving it a 2. Oh, okay, God. so what is our buzz rating, Amanda? A 3.4. Oh. She always brings it down. She Not does. always. Yeah, she really well, does. Nicole went way up and Nicole went way down. Yeah, yeah, we average it right out in the middle there. There we go. Okay, so let's check out. What's our question? Let's check out. What is your favorite cookie? Cookie? Yes. My Which favorite. One? I'm going to go. Wow. Okay. <laughs> So yesterday, Amanda brought in these amazing homemade chocolate chip cookies, and they were orgasmic. She only so said that she wants you to keep bringing. Well, them. I do, but <laughs> they are actually my favorite. Your peanut wow, butter ones are amazing a... as well. Peanut butter, thank you. Uh, that's such high compliments. Thank you. You're in the new bake all the time, so that really means a lot to me. Oh, thank you. It's truth. It is the truth. What's yours, Amanda? I really love a chocolate chip cookie as well. That's why I made them. Okay. And my favorite is a chocolate chip cookie as well, but from Subway. Okay. And it has to be really <laughs> soft and That's not a lot of chocolate. Okay. I do not like chocolate. That's I just want the cookie. Okay. The best cookie that I've ever purchased was from a place in New York City called Levain Bakery. Ooh. It is 
Oh my gosh, they were huge. They were literally like probably like as big as your hand, and they were like thick. Uh-huh. And I usually don't like like a big thick cookie, but they were the best cookie I've ever eaten. But my favorite cookie that I make is called it's like a double brownie cookie, and it's a Christmas time cookie. That's why mm-hmm. it's like uh, I only have it once a year. But and then at the top it has like a peppermint icing, Ooh. and then it has crushed candy canes on top. And it's literally, I make it, I had it at a party once, and I was like, how do I make this? And then I found the recipe, and they are literally Chris and my favorite cookies. So, best purchase, best make. You have to bring it in Monday. Yeah, well, I guess next holiday season. Yeah, next Christmas. No, it's a long time from now. So, I don't like biscuits, cookies. I I don't like them at all. But if I had to, I would, I would do ginger snaps. Oh, oh, great yeah. option! That I love is actually such a NECA cookie. Thank it you. really is. Nice. Like if you, like if I had to describe you as a cookie, it would be no, ginger snap. It would be a ginger snap. Oh yeah. yeah. Don't you can, like, I, can I just share that, that question? I know now why you guys call them biscuits. Because when we were in London, you guys mean really British people? Okay, yeah. we're, <laughs> when we were in London and actually South Africa as well as Vienna, so like I don't know, that's how the Europe and Africa. and South Africa, they had biscuits. They called them all biscuits. Yeah, they're hard as fuck. <laughs> they are awful. I hate biscuits too, Neka. Cookies are delicious though. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That was a great share for us to end. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for coming and being a part of this discussion. We always absolutely love it when you're here. Thank you, Kara. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Amanda. Amanda. Thanks for having us. Thank you, co-host. Yes. And if you guys have any questions or you want to or you want us to talk about anything on the podcast, email us at podcast uh, at womenatthecenter.com. Yeah, Toodles. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Toodaloo.